Well, we got through that somehow, and God takes care of our worship time, doesn't he? I think I just picked too many old hymns, and the, the machine, the system kind of kind of balked at that a little bit. Now, I love those old songs, though, and I, um, if you need some newer songs, I'll try to get, the, get those in next week for you. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, oh, indeed. It'll be all right. Yeah, we'll get it resolved. Y'all just bear with me. We talked about these churches in Revelation, and you start to see a, a pattern developing in these letters to the churches. You had, do you remember what these churches, what the Lord said to them in Revelation chapter 1 through 3? He said things like the first church in Ephesus. You know, you're doing a great job, but what? You've left your first love. Uh, they were losing their passion. Their loyalty for the Lord was starting to waver a little bit. Then we had Smyrna, who was actually rocking and rolling, and as a result, they were going through heavy persecution. It was, it was difficult for the people in Smyrna. Then we get to uh, Pergamum. And here this church is at Satan's throne, and they have began to compromise. That's the word from last week compromise. The danger we face when we begin to compromise. What happens? Where does it lead? There's this progression where our loyalty slowly starts to change away from our Lord and then we become loyal to other things uh, like the world and things in the world. And this is where we end up today. This passage in Psalm chapter 2 that he read communicates this prophecy about the coming king who is going to be king of kings and he's going to rule and he will have authority. And that psalmist says, be wise, you kings, who you're loyal to because this king has the power to shatter everything and we have to have that same wisdom in us. Who is your king this morning? Who are you loyal to above all else? When your first love for the Lord begins to waver, when you start to compromise, and then when you are doing what this church in Thyatira begins to do, become full-on loyal to the world and things of the world and tolerate sin itself, then you have a big problem. Chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, whose eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Remember this language from earlier and what this communicates. Eyes like flaming fire. What does that mean? You're not hiding anything from this Lord. You're not hiding anything from Jesus. His eyes are like flaming fire. What that means is He can see everything. He can see through everything. And the feet of bronze, that communicates judgment. He is going to come and set the record straight and he's going to come back and judge. I know your works, your love and your faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, 
but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you at Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have come. Hold fast to what you have until I come, rather. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron and... When earthen pots are broken into pieces, you hear the language from that psalm? Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The longest of these letters that we find in in this section of Scripture to the smallest community of the seven churches, the smallest church, God, Jesus writes to him and says to him. Because they have a big problem. Not only have they begun to compromise on their, their morals, but now they have accepted and tolerated the presence of sin in their church. We don't, we don't know of too many folks named Jezebel. There may be some, and I've, I'm not aware of, but the, word, the name Jezebel conjures up this image of a lady who married King Ahab of Israel many years prior to this and didn't just subtly turn them away like we, like we looked at last week, expressed vitriol and hatred for the Word of God and for God's truth, didn't want any part of it, and talked people's, the people of Israel into rejecting the Word of truth and to going, practicing idolatry and sexual immorality. And if they're, I'm convicted of this after this study, I'll tell you all the honest truth. If I'm picking text I'm going to preach, I might bounce over this one. I might choose a parable or one of these uh, stories that Jesus teaches in in one of the Gospels that's encouraging and uplifting. Or I might choose one of the Psalms that gives us a sense of hope. And this passage here of the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ bringing death into the world to conquer sin is one that I might be tempted to just kind of, we'll deal with that later, kind of pass over. Are y'all with me? And that inclination that I have is my sensitivity to the presence of Jezebel in our society. It has become taboo to talk about sin nowadays in the world. And for you to stand up and declare that the Lord Jesus Christ will bring death and judgment to those that are not within Him is not a message anybody wants you preaching today. And my sensitivity, being under the influence of the cultural Jezebel, is something I repent of here and now as I preach this text to you. Because it's not easy to preach this text. But it's the Word of God. And even as we see, start to see some repetition, I think, well, we talked about this a bit last week, didn't we? 
if Jesus is repeating it, it must be something significant that we need to grab hold of. There must be something to this. He talks about those that haven't soiled their garments. And I think about the poor folks that I sometimes witness in nursing facilities. And this is a graphic illustration, but it is what it is. Who aren't even aware that they've soiled their garments because they've lost some mental capacity a little bit. And that's what it's like when we accept sin into our lives and into our midst. We lose awareness of the, of the filth in our life. We lose awareness of it. And we become saturated here. We'll put, on, put it on that later. We'll become saturated by the things that we're consumed with in this world. And here are some, thing, here are some reasons why. Number one, we separate the spiritual aspects of our lives from the carnal aspects of our lives. When I say carnal, I don't necessarily mean evil. I just mean worldly. Things that we do every day. We eat, you know, we uh, get dressed, we, ha- we buy things. Just carnal. Stuff of the flesh, of the world. We separate the spiritual out and the carnal. And then we treat them both like a buffet line. Saying, I'll, I'll have this part of that and I'll do this and then I'll have that. Uh, in picking and choosing the different ways we will live the spirit life and the way we'll live the carnal life and think that we can get away with that, that that's pleasing to the Lord. Jesus calls us to recognize everything about our lives is spiritual. Every single thing we do has a spiritual impact on us. And we cannot separate the two. We can't spend an hour of spirit time here at church and then the rest of the week not even given a second thought to the Lord, that we are called to be followers of Jesus day in and day out. And so we've got to recognize that's one of the reasons why we tolerate Jezebel stuff. We tolerate things in our life because we think, well, I can be exposed to that here as long as I'm still doing this over here. I don't, am I making sense at all? We can't separate the two. When we eat poison over here, it poisons the whole thing. It's not just something we can isolate to one part of our life. Number two, we confuse our identity. And we don't step into the holy life that God has called us to. I read a story, and I don't, I don't share this illustration lightly because I do not want to come across as judging someone else in that way and, and throwing stones at another preacher or anything like that. Because we're all just striving to walk this life that's really beyond us, you know. But Billy, Billy Graham's great-grandson, his name is Tulian, I cannot pronounce his last name, Chavidian, I think. But anyway, he's a well-known pastor in Florida who had a word tattooed on his arm, peccator. It was a Latin word that means sinner. He had the word sinner tattooed on his arm. And I kind of understand the idea. I understand the, the point that he's trying to make, that I'm not better than you. you know, I've, try, I've said things similar from the pulpit here, that, that we are all sinners, right? We all are in need of a Savior, But to have it tattooed communicates something about identity. 
And the word that we ought to be tattooing on ourselves is not necessarily sinner. By the way, this man has lost his pastorate after several extramarital affairs. I'm just calling, saying what, it, what happened. And, I, and I'm not saying it's because of that tattoo. Don't get me wrong. But we lose sight of our identity and what we're called to be. And sometimes we think, well, we're just sinners. And I think the Lord, if we were going to put a tattoo on our arms, and I'm not necessarily advocating that, we would tattoo saint on our arms, right? Not sinner. Now you, you might think, well, I'm not a saint. That's false. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a saint. Did you know that? It's not because of who you are. It's because of what Jesus has done for you. Now then, because of this opportunity to live a holy life, because Jesus has done what with sin? Obliterated sin. It's no longer an issue for us. and We've been set free from sin. Because of that, we step into a new identity, folks, of holiness. We pursue it with everything we've got. We strive for holiness. It's not self-righteous to say that. It's not holier than thou. If you have that mindset, yeah, you probably missed the point. Because as I strive to be holy, I could never reach this point and say, look how much better I am than you. All I'm saying is we need to step into the identity that Jesus has forged for us. It's an identity of holiness. It's not an identity of sinfulness. So we don't need to tattoo sinner on our arms. We need to tattoo saint. If nothing else, to, rom- to remind us this is what God intends for us to be. We've got to remember that. Because we start confusing our identities and we start thinking, well, we're nothing more than a sinful, and that's all we are, then sin is never going to be removed from our life. We're going to battle that same sin over and over and over again. It has very practical effects on our life. And so we tolerate sin because we think, well, we're just sinners after all. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. Don't you know that those of you who have died to sin can no longer live in it? This is the point that he's making. Our new identity is one of holiness. Are you pursuing holiness in your life today? Are you pursuing a life that's lined up with the will of Jesus Christ? No one said it's easy. No one said you're going to be perfect at it. None of us are saying that, but the point is, what are we pursuing? So that's another reason why we tolerate the Jezebels, why we tolerate sin. We confuse our identity. And the third reason, I would say, is we confuse our loyalty. We forget who's in charge at the end of the day. We forget who we declared on the day we were saved. Whoever confesses, States with his mouth, what? Jesus is what? Jesus is Lord. It's not a cute title. It's not like a semantic thing we, we hang on the wall. Lordship communicates that somebody is in charge of you. To have a Lord over you says, I recognize your authority over me. You're in charge, Jesus. Whenever we start to confuse our loyalty, 
And as I mentioned earlier, when we start thinking it's important to please the world rather than to please God, and I dare say when we start thinking it's important to please ourselves rather than please God, we have confused our loyalty and we've missed the point about what we're here for. And we begin to tolerate Jezebels like this church. We're not to tolerate sin. We've been saved unto holiness, the Scripture says. We've declared Jesus as our Lord, and He is the one that has authority. And we react to this truth. It's challenging, folks. We react and we think, okay, how can we live this out in a way that keeps us holy? This is a little, we'll talk about this more tonight. Go to that graph. We're going to talk about this tonight, but I'm just going to introduce it to you now. Don't get caught up in those big those words at the top. Look at this. In and of, we, we think, how can we engage our world around us without becoming tangled up in the sin and tolerating the sin around us? We can have this mindset of, come to us, we're no different from you. That's the sinner tattoo right there. Number one, the second one, we'll go to you. We're in the world, but not of the world. I think you've probably heard that before. In the world, but not of the world. In other words, we want to engage with you, but we will stand firm on the virtues and the pursuit of holiness that we have in our life. Then the third way is, is not in the world, but of the world. We're just like you. We're just separate. We're in a whole little huddle here. Come to us. And then the last one, fundamentalist. This is, this is a good, not a good, this is a difficult trap. When we start to pursue holiness and we don't want any part of sin, it can become easier to say, well, I'm going to wall this thing off and we're going to keep the sinners and everyone else away. And this is what the church has done for thousands of years. This is them building, building the, the monasteries and building the holy cloisters so that they can isolate themselves from the world so that they don't become corrupted by the world. Go away. We don't want you here. Is that how Jesus engaged with the world? So we, we'll talk about this some more tonight. But the idea, that number two, that's where we want to be. We want to engage the world while at the same time pursuing holiness in our life. That's the challenge. That's where we want to be. And this church here, you can take it off of that. Go back to that picture he reigns. This church here kind of missed the mark on that deal. In Thyatira, they... They pursued the world by becoming just like the world and tolerating all the sin of the world. We've got to learn this lesson. Jesus says, look, you, I will come and bring judgment to that situation. I am not going to tolerate that in my church. And he says, but if you persevere, you'll be given authority. And so we humbly accept the words of Jesus this morning from the letter to the church in Thyatira. It's, it's a humble reception we have we recognize ways we need to grow in our pursuit of holiness and we pray that god with all his power will keep us from becoming the top that once we start to pursue holiness then we withdraw from the world to, to keep ourselves holy to engage the world while maintaining a pursuit of holiness that's the key so we need a consecrated life a life set aside for the purposes of god and it's that song I've chosen this morning for our invitation. We've sang it before. Take our life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. I want to invite you to stand and sing with me. And if you need prayers this morning, come and pray with me at this time of invitation. Go ahead.